That is a good welcome. That is a good welcome. Uh, you know, I, w I was not going to go here at all, but um, because it's really not a p part of what we're going to be talking about, but yet in some ways it is, okay? And he was talking about my new book, Super Saints. And God, I, I actually was um, ministering somewhere, and I started just preaching and talking about super saints. You know, what if all saints were moving in the gifts of the Spirit? What if they really understood their fivefold ministry anointings? What if they were really healed and redeemed? What if they had Christ-like character and all of that? And someone afterwards said, you, you know, you really ought to write a book on that. And so um, about a year ago, get this, God downloaded the um, introduction to me for me. And then um, about six months later, I wrote the book. But I'm not going to read the whole introduction, but I, I do feel like after he was talking, I was supposed to read this. It says, in case you hadn't noticed, we don't really serve a safe God. Just look at the earth he created, especially here in New Zealand. It's absolutely beautiful. He didn't create mountains with guardrails, and the ocean's depth is way over anyone's head. He didn't fill the earth with all safe animals we could pet. And above everything, he didn't make us robot, robots. He gave us free will, which is one of the most dangerous things he could have ever done. Now, he may keep you safe in the midst of many things, but he never promised his disciples a safe life. Bringing two to three million people through the Red Sea and into the wilderness isn't exactly safe. Having a Restoring Sexuality Conference isn't exactly safe. Amen? Uh, positioning Esther in the palace wasn't a real safe move. Putting David in Saul's court when Saul got jealous and wanted to kill him wasn't the height of safety. Allowing Jesus to go to the cross didn't look like the safest plan ever. Religion is safe. You know what to expect, when to expect it, who to expect it from, and you know what is expected of you. I don't think Mary expected to become a virgin mother. And I don't think ordinary fishermen thought one day they would be healing the blind and the crippled. I am sure Joshua didn't expect one day he would be marching around a city called Jericho and see the walls fall. And Daniel probably wasn't expecting to visit a lion's den. If safety is what you're after, it would probably be best to put this book down now or give it to someone else. And I sure did not think that one day I was going to be trotting around the globe and many times ministering on sex, okay? It was not in my life plan. It was not in what I dreamed of as a little girl. Um, it, it wasn't safe. I'll tell you a little of the journey, but it wasn't safe. We serve a magnificent, powerful, awe-inspiring, glory-producing, risk-taking, unfathomable God. We will never figure him out. We can only ask for him to figure us in to his grand plans. He wants to equip and empower us to be able to co-labor with him. In this book, we're going to discuss how he wants to accomplish this in our lives. He had a plan, and his plan hadn't changed. Safe men tried to change his plan Governments tried to rearrange his plan, and the enemy has tried to pervert his plan. His plan has always been to make us dangerous to the enemy, more powerful than natural governments, and not ruled by safe men, but by his spirit. The word compares his spirit to fire and wind. Both fire and wind are very difficult to harness or control, 
Both are powerful and both can change the landscape of things. Amen? Amen. So that, that's the introduction. I was excited about writing it after the Lord. Okay, you two can fight over it. Um, but, and you can, all of our books are on Amazon and Kindle. You can download them on Kindle and all that good stuff. Um, so, but tonight we're going to be talking about sexuality. And uh, like I said, I, it was not something that was on the top of my list. But as your pastor said, when you pastor, you end up dealing with things. And we were not only pastoring, we started a counseling ministry. And um, so you find things like you're working with someone, they have an eating disorder, and then you find underneath it they were sexually abused. You're working with a couple and they're having marital problems and you find out, you know, they're ha really having a lot of sexual problems. You're working with someone and they have depression or you're working with someone and they have um, pornography addiction or um, it's just everywhere. It's underlying so many things. So you have to get a, a grasp on it. You have to get an understanding of how to minister to people. And I will tell you a lot of what I learned here came out of desperation. Okay, it wasn't just, it was, oh God, if you're going to keep sending me these people, sending me people who went through horrendous, traumatic abuse, different things, you've got to help, number one, anoint me for it, have the faith for it, and then give me enough understanding so we can really, really help them, you know? There's nothing, there's a scripture in Jeremiah that says, this is what I have against my, 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 my leaders, is that they have healed the hurt of my daughter slightly. And so much of the church often heals the hurt of his daughter slightly. He says, I have this against you. And I said, Lord, I don't want you to ever say to me that I was one of those that put a Band-Aid when, when deep surgery and healing was needed. That I did not put a coat of, another pretty, try to put a coat of paint on when really it needed to be stripped down to the, the real genuine wood and to, for their full beauty to come out. That I did not want to be one that one day he would say, you healed the hurt of my daughter slightly. Amen. And so we've got to take responsibility of that. And, and that's kind of how I got on this journey. And, and then I thought I was just going to do it all in this little private counseling center, in this little private room. And part of the way it began to happen was um, God just hears even sometimes our little prayers. And I was just I'm working with so many people. And I will tell you people, even as a church, you have to be careful. And I don't want to, I don't want to breathe fear in here, but I do want to breathe wisdom. And I, want, I do want to breathe insight. Because I've ministered to people that were abused in the sound booth during praise and worship. I have ministered to people who were abused by elders in the church while their parents cleaned the church. I have ministered to young girls who were abused in the church by the pastor's son. I mean, you, you name it, I've, I, I've heard it, okay? I've heard it. And so we, we have to, you know, we have to awaken. 
And so one of the things, uh, I had just kind of prayed one day. I was ministering to someone, and I kind of walked out of the counseling center. It's like, God, I just like want a soapbox or something to just say, we can't keep doing this like this. We, we need to change this, especially as a church. Well, what happened right after that, um, I would minister often at our, we had a regional uh, Christian television station, and sometimes they would call me to um, come and speak. And a lot of times they would say things like, you know, speak on the prophetic or speak on prayer or different things. And this time, right after that, that little prayer, um, the Lord said, and they said to me, speak on anything you want to. And so I was praying and saying, Lord, what should I speak on? And it was like, duh, you just said you wanted, you know. So I didn't want to just do it without talking to them first. So I called them and said, look, I really would love to talk on this topic of sexuality. And you could kind of hear a little bit of deep breath on the phone. And um, they said, can we pray about it? And I said, yes. And they came back and said, we would like, I said, look, I'll be discreet, I'll handle it, we'll do a disclaimer for children, but, but will you let me do this? So they did. What was really interesting, they couldn't timed it this way, and I couldn't have timed it this way, but I was the first show, they hooked up to the Angel Network, and they were satellite worldwide, and I was the first show that aired for them on that network, Okay on restoring sexuality. And, um, and I was really proud of them that they didn't pull the plug, but they went for it. And then later, I mean, years and years and years I, I, later, um, people would come up to me and say, well, you know, we saw you, or we were up late at night and we saw you. And I found out later what they would do is when the bars and the nightclubs and everything got out, you know, like one, two in the morning, they would air that show. And so people coming home from would turn it on, and they would get the most feedback of that show, more call-ins. They would bring in special people for call-ins because they would get so many people calling in for prayer from that. And from there, God, and then I wrote a book called Restoring Sexuality out of that. And God just began to open doors for me to minister. I've ministered in a number of different nations, and every nation... You know, some may have a little bit of a different flavor, but it's not like you can go somewhere and they say, well, we don't have this problem. <laughs> you know, we're people. And um, in America is, you know, it's, it, it, it's especially bad. But, you know, we've got to know, I always say, if, if the Bible didn't talk about sex, then I wouldn't be talking about sex. But this Bible talks about sex. It talks about bad stuff, ugly stuff, good stuff, how, how we should do this stuff. It talks about sex. And so I have found anywhere where the church leaves a void, who fills it? Satan. America. We took prayer out of school. What do we have? Murder. You know? We took religion, we are so busy trying to separate religion from government and everything in our country that now what do we have? We, I mean, it's, we've got, you know, just all kinds of extortion and, you know, corruption and 
all kinds of things. Because whatever, wherever God isn't, the enemy is. And so the church has given over the message around sexuality. It should be ours. It is our message. I always say, all you have to do, take off your clothes, go look in the mirror, and you will know that you were designed with sex in mind. Okay? We are sexually created. Okay? We are. And so God, it was God's design, his intention, it should be our message. But we have left the message way, way, way too long. Where now, it's like, that's the enemy's world, and boy, we better not go there, or we're going to get in trouble. Okay? And so we've got to start taking back that message. Amen? And so... Um, we have and a lot we're going to be talking about God's design and I want to apologize for this because I had I was traveling quite a bit for about 5 weeks I was in England a couple of weeks and then I was in Croatia for a few weeks and so they were pressing to get some of this information and before I could get back and put together what I wanted to do my um assistant assisted me and sent what she thought I might want, but it wasn't exactly what I want. So you're going to have some things in your workbook that you can go, go over. It's all good stuff. Some of it was designed uh, for counselors and ministers and things, teaching on interviewing and things. That's not what you all, most of you don't need. Some of you may. That's uh, good. And the statistics in here are from American statistics. But I have... I really feel like, and I've got New Zealand statistics, which I'm going to share with you. And if you want copies, I'm not going to do a whole bunch because you can Google, look up this stuff. But if we do not get, we're, we're in an epidemic, okay? It's an epidemic. The Internet has just thrown gas on all of this, okay? And so it has magnified this problem. Now, I'm going to give you um, some st stats on pornography. These are New Zealand stats. Okay, Pornhub is, again, it's one of the most popular uh, porn websites. It published stats that the use of porn by New Zealanders was per capita the fifth most frequent visitors. New Zealand. In the whole world, this Island, north and south, okay, is fifth per capita in porn use, okay? This is our New Zealand statistics now, not American. About 90% of children aged 8 to 16 say that they viewed porn. 90%, 8 through 16. Now, let me tell you, we're going to talk more about what that does to your brain tomorrow when we talk about pornography, sexual addictions, and those things. The same reward, yes? They, that they have viewed porn, 90%, okay? The way our brains are wired, the reward system in our brain, our reward, part of it is 
We'll talk about a few other things. But one of the major things is dopamine, okay? Dopamine, we can have problems on two ends of the spectrum. If you, if you begin to get dopamine addicted, the reward system, that's where addiction, any kind of addiction, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's shopping. I don't care if it's uh, masturbation. I don't care if it's um, alcohol. What, all of it is a chemical addiction. It's all chemical. If we didn't, if we didn't have that dopamine, we want, that's what the brain is after. So if you have an eight or nine or 10 year old or whatever, and they start looking at pornography at that age, and they do, and they do. That is like heroin and crack. The same reward center in their brain that lights up, and they can tell all of this now with brain imagery, the same reward center as if they took a hit of crack or a hit of heroin lights up in their brain. They are totally altering their brains, okay? And so when you think of that, the average age of exposure. And so parents, I know a lot of parents that they just don't think their wonderful children would do this. Okay? And so I tell parents everywhere, get as much protection on your devices, on anything in the house, on the computers, anything that you can. Okay? Because if you don't, and sometimes some of these kids are pretty good with technology. You've got to find something good that really works. I've been asking around what you all use here. We, we use Covenant Eyes as a pretty good one we use in the States. But kids now, they, there are apps now where kids can, you can say, let, let me take a look. I want, go get your phone. I want to see what's on it. And they've got apps now that can totally put a whole different screen on it so you can't even tell any of their history, right? You know about it, right? He's, he's like, yeah, I, 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 I know about that thing, right? Yeah, they, 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 they actually have that. So you, if you don't keep up, parents, you don't know what is going on. Life is different. Life is not like 30 years ago or 40 years ago that you had to go and go into a store and buy a Playboy magazine or go to a video store and they would card you and everything. No, you just go in your, you know, your mom's or dad's office or whatever, the family computer, you just turn it on. It's just click, click, click. It, 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 and it's there. And so the stats are, you know, amazing. The average age of exposure to internet porn in New Zealand is 10 years old. 10 years old, the average age. So what we used to talk to our kids about when maybe they were 13, 14, we better be doing it like 10, 9. Everything has changed. What we used to tell them at, at 9 years old, we better start talking to them when they're 5 years old. Okay? It, it, it is, we're living in a different time and we're parenting like it's back then. And it's not. It's not. 
okay? I don't know if this has hit New Zealand as much as it is in the States, but oral sex in America for 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 14-years-old, that's all the rage, okay? Yep, and they don't, you know, it's not like they're having sex. They're just hooking up. Call it hooking up, okay? 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds, yes. At 35%, New Zealand is ninth in the lineup of nations regarding female porn viewers. Ninth. If we think this is a male problem, it's not, okay? It's not. And what's happening, because we've become so such a digital screen, looking at something, watching something, society, women before, they were drawn to what we call emotional porn. I always loved a lady who would drag her husband and say, you know, come on, fix this lustful beast, you know? Get him delivered and set free. But when you talk to her, she would have stacks of romance novels by her bed, and she would be watching soap operas. So she would have the emotional porn, but be mad because her husband had visual porn. Okay? But that is even changing because they've done studies now, and women's brains are altering, and women, there are more women now who are looking at porn and who are using visual porn than emotional porn than ever before, okay? Their brains are being altered. Um, in 2025, no, that's supposed to be 2015, one study showed 50% of pornography was viewed by phone. So does your child have a phone? 34% on desktop and 13% on tablets. Now, let, let me tell you just a few things about pornography. It decreases, and these are studies. This is not just my opinion. It decreases intimacy and sexual satisfaction in relationships. Pornography use increases marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. It increases it. So the lie sometimes and the justification is, well, I'll look at porn because then I won't cheat, okay? And, but you're, you're increasing the likelihood like around 300%. Married couples who watch pornography almost double their risk of divorce. Almost double the risk of, their, of divorce. Now this I have to stand and repent to you for. Every 39 minutes, a new pornography video is being cre created in the United States every 39 minutes. And the U.S. hosts 60% of the world's pornography. It is a $97 billion industry. It is more than if you put all of our, our NFL, NASCAR, basketball, if you put all of those industries together, the pornography industry in the United States is bigger than all of that. So 
we have to repent to the world for what we've done. The other thing is a lot of times people don't realize, but a good majority of the pornography is that industry is ruled by the mafia. The mafia is still alive and well in America, even though a lot it's not as emphasized as it used to be, but the mafia runs it. And, and one of the things about the mafia spirit is if you get in, you can't get out. Okay? And the enemy will use that. So once you get into it, now addiction helps too, but once you get into it, so a lot of times helping get people free, you really want to come against that mafia spirit also. Okay? Um, this is a, a, important. Severe clinical depression is reported twice as frequently among internet pornography users. Severe clinical depression was reported twice as frequently among internet pornography users. The other thing, so many people don't know this, porn use and masturbation increases le levels of erectile dysfunction. Some stats say up to about 30% increase of those problems since the introduction of internet porn. Okay. And one of the things that happens, and we'll talk more about that later, is a lot of times, especially with masturbation, it will increase premature ejaculation and sometimes even impotency because what happens is many times, especially when young kids start masturbating, different things, what is it? They want to hurry up and do it because they got to get out of the shower because mom's going to wonder why she's, well, you're in the shower so long, okay? Or it's got to be done quick because I'm at work or this or that or whatever it is. And so what you train your body to ejaculate quickly, okay? And then it causes problems. So again, there's a third, listen to that, 30% increase. That's a high increase of people having erectile dis different types of dysfunction since the introduction of internet porn. That's just pornography. Let's talk about sexual abuse. This, these are New Zealand statistics. 20% of girls and 9% of boys reported unwanted sexual touching or being forced to do sexual things. 20% of girls and 9% of boys. Now we know in the sexual arena, really so much of stats are underrated because so much of it is never reported. This one, now just think, just think of how many young girls you have in your church. One in three New Zealand girls are sexually abused before the age of 16. One in three. So who's going to minister to them? Who's going to give them hope? Who's going to give them faith? Who's going to bring healing to their hearts? One in seven males, which is about 15%, will be sexually abused by adulthood. And only about 10 out of 100 sexual abuse crimes are reported. Okay? And, and just so you know, parents, you better know who's taking care of your kids because you can have that 10, 12-year-old boy and you can have that 16, 17-year-old babysitter 
and she's a girl, and she could be molesting him. I can't tell you how many young boys have been molested by babysitters, by older sisters, older cousins, even grandmas. You name it, I've heard it, okay? Now, is that everyone? But we've got to trust our discernment. And we've got to pray about these things because, and there are a lot of men sometimes, I get sometimes people in for counseling and ministry, my husband and I are ministering to them. And, you know, I'll have somebody, and he's a man, but he's really got some signs of a sexual abuse victim. But if you, if you, if you go like this and say, were you ever sexually abused? They say no. But then to come find out when they were 15, the next door neighbor, who was 30, was having sex with them. They didn't think that they were abused. They just thought they had an early introduction in sexuality. Or they were 10 years old, and the babysitter experimented with them. And they, but they have symptoms because they were. I had this one man one time, and he, he couldn't quite wrap his head around that was really sexual abuse, and he had to forgive that, and it affected him in his life, and we would talk about things, but, you know, he was like 15, and it was, it was his best friend's mom, and she was in her 30s, okay? And, and how that affected his friendship with his best friend and all of that. And all I did is I said, do you know anyone around that age right now? He's like, yeah, I've got a nephew that age. I said, okay, so what if one of the, teachers at school was doing to him what that, that that best friend's mom did to you. He was like, oh, I'd, just, I'd kill him. Because sometimes you have to take them out of where they are. I had a, a, a woman one time ministering to him. She had been abused by her brother-in-law from the time she was 10 up until really into her 20s her brother-in-law, but he loved her, he gave her gifts, treated her special, took her places, and she couldn't quite wrap, she said, well, I've forgiven him, and it was like, I could tell, she hadn't really got there of the damage that this guy had created in her life, and this was her older sister, and, and he had molested her all those years, so I knew her daughter and her son-in-law's brothers, and I said, so, okay, your granddaughter, she's going to be that age in about a year or two, so how nice would it be, and I mentioned one of the brothers of her son-in-law, how would you feel about if they started just, but they bought her gifts, but they started making her do oral sex on them, and, and then eventually started having sex, but what? But if, what if he took her to nice places? And, and as I was saying it, you could just see what I was finally trying to get to, began to get, and she gritted her teeth. She looked at me and she said, I'd kill him. I'd kill him. I'd say, yeah, but yet this guy, you're kind of given a pass over here. And you got to get to that anger because that's the level you have to forgive him at. See, we cannot truly forgive something when we have not assessed the damage. 
if I drove, I didn't have my car here, but if I drove my car here tonight and I came in and man, I just banged in and I came in, I said, oh, pastor, I banged into your car. So sorry. And it's like, okay, Kathy, well, no problem. We'll take care of it afterwards and stuff. And I leave and he, and they go out to go home and I have taken half the side of his car off. The wheels, the axles bent. He can't even get out of the, out of the driveway. That's a whole level of forgiveness that you have to get to. And sometimes if we haven't fully evaluated the damage, we can't really release the forgiveness and we can't receive the healing. Amen? We've got to be able to look at that. Sexual assault. Now, this is just one stat here. Between January 2016 and January 2017... 5,865 people were the victim of rape or sexual assault in New Zealand. Most of the victims were women between the ages of 15 and 19. Okay. And that's what was reported. Okay. And we know how, how many, what. Um, one in five women, 20%, will experience sexual assault as an adult in New Zealand. One in five will experience it as an adult. So, underlying all that, like I said, is what are we going to do as a church to talk about it? And, and again, Pastor, I will send you all of this because, like I said, in your workbook, you ended up with American stats, which are pretty horrific. Um, but... This is an American stat. It is estimated in America that are, there are 60 million survivors of childhood sexual abuse in America today. 60 million people. Okay? One thing I, I, I really have a heart to do, I'm believing that God somehow is going to allow me to do it. I want to create a sexual holocaust museum to give honor to the victims of sexual abuse and to wake up our society for what it does. It is not just a one-time event that happens and then you try to forget about it and maybe then try to forgive it. It affects a lot of things. Now, I'm here to tell you, God can heal. God can restore. God can fix everything okay but he can't if we're hiding it from him and it can't if we're not a church that doesn't bring a message that there's hope and healing there i mean we have prayer lines for backs we have prayer lines for you know you got a, a headache we've got words of knowledge for all that but god forbid we say anyone who needs prayer for sex your sexuality or whatever come up for for prayer now a lot of that all can't be done at an altar i understand that but it's like it's it's a subject that it's like been almost a no-go zone sometimes instead of us like i said as a church really owning that message and part part of that is and you'll you'll see that on page five in your workbook it's this mechanism that we call shame fear and control okay 
And we all do this. We do this in a lot of areas, but we especially do it in the sexual arena. Okay? And so this started one day in the garden back in Genesis. Okay? Because what happened after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they realized that they were what? Naked. That was that shame set in. Okay? And then they sewed fig leaves and made coverings. And so it says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Okay? So there you see shame, fear, control. So they were ashamed, they were afraid, and they hid themselves. They tried to control it. So that has to be dismantled. Now, in many areas of our life, that has to be dismantled, okay? Because, and control has lots of different pictures. We think sometimes control is that strong person, strong personality, try to get it their way. There's as much passive control as there is dominant control. There's control through anger. There's control through performance. There's control through appeasement. There's control through pride. There's control through isolation and withdrawal. Everybody has a mechanism, okay? Families control. We just don't talk about any of that. We just keep, every, we just keep it nice on the surface. Just be nice. Just be pleasant. Just, we don't really want to look at problems here, okay? So we all have it. But around the area of sexuality, it's like we have it on steroids, okay? And the church has brought shame into the message of sexuality. And that's part of one of the things I do. Even I work with, with a lot of counselors and ministers. I'm a part of uh, an organization with Restoring the Foundations as well. Um, I've been ordained with Christian International for 27 years, my husband and I. And, um, but I work with a lot of counselors and ministers because I will have, they, they can't use the words and ask the questions without being uncomfortable. And when you're ministering to someone about sexual things, you have to have a level of comfortability. Now me, I've talked on it so much, I've almost gotten too comfortable. You know, I can say, you know, well, how are you? And how many times are you masturbating a day? You know what I'm saying? And, you know, so I have to be a little careful about that, okay? And a lot of times I use words so we break the ice, okay? You just have to break the ice, okay? And so I will have to work. Now, I, I didn't bring them with me because I wasn't doing advanced training, but I have these cards of different sexual scenarios, you know, like molested by my uncle when I was 12 and, you know, this, that, all kinds of different things. And I, I will work when I'm training with counselors and ministers and things to have them pair up and interview each other. They role play and interview to get them to be able to ask the questions to know what really, what did that really look like, okay? And so I have these cards and I always hate traveling overseas with them because I'm always so concerned 
somebody's gonna go through my luggage and say, who is this person? You know, because they're my sex cards. I remember one time I had a new, I had a, we had a new assistant and we were, we had gone to, I was gonna be doing a conference and that morning I got, got up, we were all staying at this house and I got up, I'm running around and I said, I can't find my sex cards. Where are my sex cards? You know, and she, she just looked like she's, She's got sex cards, what are sex, you know, she had no idea. Anyhow, that's a whole nother subject. But everybody has some shame. I had a young lady, she came in from Finland for training and she was, had red hair and very, very light skinned. I mean, she was just very, very light skinned. And so we had to do some work because, because I needed to get a lot of training in her quick, she was sitting in, even though she was single, with some of our ministry with couples. And if we just started talking about sex or anything, bright red would start here, and it would just start rising all the way up. You know, I always say a couple of things you got to get through. You, you can't just totally blush. And I'll, when I train counselors, I always say one of the first things you have to learn how, what not to do is to gasp. Don't go, <gasps> <laughs> okay, those are just a couple basics. Well, she would just turn red from here to there. And I said, I said, look, we got to desensitize you because you're going to make everybody in the room uncomfortable because you are so uncomfortable. And again, she had never really talked that much. And um, she was actually still a virgin. So she hadn't had sex, hadn't talked about sex, but I knew we had to get this fixed. So I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to desensitize you. So I'm going to, when I see you, I'm just going to say something, and then I'm going to say a sexual term, and then you've got to say it back to me, okay? So I won't say her name, but I would see her in the morning, I'd say, good morning, so penis, and she would have to say it back to me, or good morning, yeah, yeah, and we would just, you know, good morning, or how are you doing? Masturbation, and she would have to say it back to me, and so... We just broke the high ice until she could say the words and she wasn't totally embarrassed, right? But if we can't even say the words, we can't even talk about it, right? That we're, and yet it's all happening. It's all going on, but we can't even interview somebody and get to the real issue, okay? Because we, we're not saying the words. I don't know why I'm going here, but I'm going to just go here a minute. Because when you are interviewing, some of this is in your notes, but when you're interviewing people, you have to be careful. If you're a minister and you're ministering to someone and they're having, you know, problems in an area or had an abuse and things, you don't know. You can have someone say, well, my brother and I, there was incest. And if you take that and start going, what is that in your brain? you could start thinking they had sex. Maybe all they did was kissed or fondled. It's different. Someone says, well, you know, I had, had a, a same-sex relationship in college. You could say, you could think, it could have been mutual masturbation. It could have been oral, oral sex. It could have been, he always masturbated me or I always masturbated him. It could have been sodomy. 
every one of those levels is going to be something need different ministry. There's levels of shame along the way that are different. But if you can't ask the question, okay? I had one time years ago, gotten a whole lot more experience since, had a lady coming for ministry, and she had every sign of a sexual abuse victim, except every time I would say, Have you, do you think you were abused? No. And she also had really good timeline of her childhood, so I it didn't seem like she had repressed memories and dissociated because she had a good timeline of her childhood. And she'd finally come back for ministry again. And um, this time I asked the question a little differently. I said, did anyone ever maybe even touch you inappropriately, do anything? And see, because she could not put this into a paradigm of the words you were sexually abused, she finally told me that her dad, when she was like 13, 14, he would come in her bedroom at night and he would measure her breasts to see how much they had grown, okay? Without her pajama top on, okay? So he was molesting her, but in her mind, she couldn't conceive that her dad had sexually abused her, but he had. So if you are too embarrassed to ask the questions and find out, even with your own kids, they could tell you something, but you won't, you're too uncomfortable to even ask more of what really happened. You know? Because you're uncomfortable. Because why? Shame, fear, control. Okay? You also have to have an understanding about this because some people, because of what happened to them sexually or what they've done sexually or whatever, they end up with what we call shame-based identity. Shame gets woven into who they are. You know, and we have, we have this amazing chapter in the Bible, Isaiah 61. And sometimes we all need to stop and read it again and say, that's for me. Because one of the scriptures I love is in Isaiah 61, 7, and it says, For your shame, you shall have double honor. And I don't care what you've experienced sexually. I don't care what you've done sexually. God says, for your shame, you shall have double honor. But you have to give it to him. You have to release it to them. And if not, we end up with shame-based identities. And see, here's the deal. I, I say there's a lot of Christians that I call half-saved, okay? Because it's like this. If Jesus died, right, and he paid for his sins. So if I, if I said to Catherine, you know, I really like that bag. I'll, I'll give you $100 for that bag. And she says, yeah, okay. And I give her the $100, and she takes it, but she keeps the bag. Did we have a full deal? No, because I bought it. And the thing that we have to understand, when Jesus bought our sin, he bought all the shame with it. He bought all the shame with it. And if we repent for our sins and say, well, we receive your blood, but we don't give him that shame, and a lot of times we repent of the sin. We're not going to do it anymore. But the shame has to go with it.
It's part of the package. And we don't understand that with our natural minds because it looks like a really bad deal. Who would want to buy my shame? Jesus. And why did he want to buy the sin and the shame that goes with it? Because it separates us from Father God. And he gave his life that we could be reconciled to the Father. Amen? And the Bible says, for our shame, he comes to give us double honor that we can stand before the throne room of God, that we can give. I don't, like I said, I don't care what's ever happened to you. I don't care what, what you've ever done yourself. For your shame, you can have double honor. I got pregnant at 17. For my shame, I have double honor. I can now go into schools and talk to young people. I've got so many different things. If I had to learn sexuality for my family. My oldest daughter was raped at 16 by a lifeguard on Daytona Beach. And I didn't find out until she was in her 20s and in drug rehab. And then, only then, I understood why her life took such a turn and me telling her, you know, one of the most special things you can give to your husband is your virginity. And you know what this guy said? She tried to get him to stop. Number one, she, we were staying temporarily in a condo. And the rule was nobody comes up to the condo if we're not here. And she let this lifeguard up, older lifeguard. And she was trying to tell him, no, you know, I, 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 I want to be a virgin when I get married. Don't. And when he was done, he said to her, so much for your wedding night. So she needed healing. And she is, okay? Then to come to find out my youngest daughter, we had foster children. And I found out later as she got older, she was molested by one of the foster children. Okay? So then my youngest daughter gets married. And we had a son-in-law. Now, we knew he had had a really rough childhood. But we didn't know. And I think he was hoping he was more over on the other side of it. But he had been exposed to pornography like at six, seven, eight very young ages by his mother's boyfriend who beat him so badly at times, put him in the hospital. He was finally taken away. And so my son-in-law has a sexual addiction, okay, pornography. He's doing great now, pastoring our church, wonderful. There's not anything God can't do, okay. My other son-in-law, he was molested, same-sex molestation by a, a baseball coach when he was a little boy. Okay, so everywhere, it, I mean, it was all around me. Then my own thing of being pregnant at 17 and all of that. So even if I needed it just for my family, much less anybody else, okay? But you get up front and very personal when you're dealing with all the different aspects of it, just in your own family, okay? So shame, fear, control, we have to help people separate out 
that what, especially sexual abuse victims, what was done to them was shameful, but it was done to them. They are not shame. They, they should not carry the shame of their abuser. The act was shameful, but they are not. They are not. And so when we, we have to learn to dismantle that shame, fear, control cycle. If we're going to minister to people, we have to dismantle it. As a church, we have to dismantle it so we can begin to talk about these. And again, we can do it with wisdom. We can do it in right setting. We can do it in right way. But we have, we have to begin to talk about it. Here's some benefits of confessing sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? And we're going to be talking about imprinting some tomorrow. And when we have had sexual imprint, ungodly sexual imprinting, it creates righteousness. It came from not right living. James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay? So if we want our sexuality to be healed, sometimes we've got to find someone to confess our sin to, someone who can pray for us. Because, again, shame always hides. And a lot of times we want to just say, well, I just want to confess that to God. Okay? And there's some things, I'm not saying you have to run with every little sin. But sometimes, especially in the sexual arena, I find sometimes when someone will finally confess it to someone else, it brings it into the light. And then when the light is there, guess what? The healing can begin. Um, and sometimes we need to confess gener generationally. Many times it's been a generational problem. And again, another great scripture in Isaiah 61.4 says, and they shall be, rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Okay? And many times, you know, we didn't get, I didn't get pregnant at 17 by myself. Okay? And let me tell you why. Not just because I had someone that was a partner. Because, and I used to always say this. I would say, I know how I got pregnant but I didn't know how I got pregnant because that was not the avenue I was taking. I was wanting to go to college. I, I didn't want to get married really young. I was not one of these big, I got to have a baby people. I was going to probably get to it, but that was not on my high agenda. So here I am shocked I'm pregnant at 17. Now I know alcohol played a part of it. I know a number of things, but not till I went through restoring the foundations did I get this light bulb, which it was like I should have had this earlier. I'm a, I was a counselor. I should have got this. Because when I was going through restoring the foundations, we look at generational sins, and I realized on my dad's side of the family, he had five other brothers and sisters. I was a firstborn. And that day, sitting there, I had never got this. It was just a download from God. It was like, oh, my goodness. Every one of the oldest children, all my oldest cousins, all along, if they were a boy, they got a girl pregnant. If they were a girl, they got pregnant, except for one who had died prematurely. And that day I said, now I know how I got pregnant. 
I was set up generationally. And again, I didn't have the Lord. I didn't have any power. I, it, was, it was the generational sin coming down the line. Okay? And it was like, oh, I saw this whole spiritual dynamic, not just, Kathy, you're so bad. You know? And so that generational component many times needs to be dealt with. Proverbs 28:13 says, "He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy." So it's very important that we help dismantle that whole realm of shame. Now we're going to talk just a, a little bit in the the about the interviewing only because it's in your book, and I don't want to. I'm not going to skip all of that um, but if you work with people and you're you're having to deal with this you may want to look at it a little bit more closely so you have to get comfortable yourself okay you can tell I'm quite comfortable these days um, the other thing is don't use slang you know don't use things like you know did he show you his pee pee you know what I'm saying it 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 doesn't it doesn't fly you know that's why, that's why we've got we've to learn the words, right? We also have to get comfortable enough for... We've got to have fun while we do this, right? We've got to have a little fun while we do it. We, what, it's, it's so important that we don't create an atmosphere that brings more shame to people, okay? We've got to be able to... to you know, hear it, be able to walk with them, and, and, and not bring judgment. We cannot bring judgment to people for what they've experienced and, and what they've done. Over the years, because of the work I've done, I've ended up with a lot of people who have, like, have done some very sexual deviant things at times, okay? All came back to imprinting. We'll talk more some, about some of that in the morning. But I can't sit there and I can't help bring ministry and the love of Christ and the healing of the Lord to somebody that I'm judging and saying, you know, inside, you sicko, you know, what's wrong with you? No, because that is not going to help, help set them free. So you have to learn how to create a safe place a place where people can trust, a place of confidentiality. And just so you know, if I use any testimonies at all, it's because those people have said, if you can use my testimony to help anybody, use them. I don't use names. I keep things very things. But a lot of people, part of their redemption of what they went through is, can my testimony help somebody else? Okay? So you want to bring it out into the light. Now, here's something on page six, I also, and this is, this is good for you all to know in a lot of different arenas, okay? But many times things that has happened sexually are also very traumatic, okay? And so I'm on number four on page six. So part of what I explain to people, and I've learned to do this really quick, and so you have two memory compartments in your brain, 
okay? Two very specific ones. One is called traumatic memory and one, or implicit memory, and the other is called narrative memory or explicit memory, okay? Now, they used to know that a certain amount of talk therapy, if done right, might help people. Well, part of the reason is these memory compartments. Now, this works sexual. This would work with, and you, you guys may have had teams in here. I don't know what related to the earthquake. I, in, in America, we have teams called critical incident stress management teams. I'm a trained facilitator. And th this is how important this part of our brain is, okay? When we had, like, let's say 9-11, they called in teams all over the country. I wasn't trained yet, but I got trained after. And what they would do is they would take like, let's say five people right here. They bring in these trains who are teams that are trained and, and the, this is it in simplistic form. Say to them, okay, you were at 9-11, what, what happened? And each one of you tell me what happened from your perspective. And I say, what, what were you feeling while it happened? What were you thinking while it happened? What are you experiencing now? And then give them some real basic information on post-traumatic stress disorder, symptoms, what they can do about it, how to help. Give them some of that. Now, they cut down on the need for long-term counseling by 85% by doing that. 85%. And they say most of the 15% probably were going to need long-term counseling anyway. Okay? But 85%, it's cut down because the reason it is, is when you take a traumatic event and you put it into words and into a narrative and talk it out in story form, it moves to another part of your brain. They can literally see it now on brain imagery. They're talking, and it's th this part of the brain is lighting out. And then once it's put into narrative, it moves to another part of the brain. And guess what happens? When it moves there, you have distance on it. You know it happened to you, but you no longer feel shaky, you no longer are, um, have stimuli that is subconscious triggering it. Because when it's in traumatic memory, you can smell something and that memory's triggered. Traumatic memory is like it's happening again, okay? And so you can have music, you can have a certain touch, you know, you can have a couple and she was sexually abused, never processed it and she's just touched a certain way and she wants to kill her husband. Because why? That traumatic memory. And it doesn't go away with time. It will stay in traumatic memory. That's why they talk like a, a, a war veteran or something. They hear a car backfire and they're diving under a table. Okay? Or if someone tries to shake them to wake them, they want to, you know, attack because it's stored in that one part of the memory. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, you know, we have these amazing immune systems if we don't sabotage them every day. <laughs> I'm not going to say any more on that. But we have these amazing immune systems that heal our body, and we also have these amazing brains that if we use them, 
we can bring healing to our brain. Now, I am all for, I love to do inner healing and allow Jesus to come into those memories and minister to people and, and people's souls and their spirit. But we are body, soul, and spirit. And so if I had Jesus come into that wonderful memory, but I leave that that part of my brain in traumatic memory, it is better for me to talk it through. So when we do an inner healing memory with someone, we want to, and sometimes we want to save them. It's like, oh, daddy, you don't want to talk about all it. Just, oh, daddy abused you. Okay, we'll just ask Jesus to come and heal that. But I don't help her then. But if, if I, and what I've learned is that if I, a lot of times people are like, I just can't talk about it. I just had a woman not too long. I can't, I can't, I can't talk about it can't but I find when I tell them here's what we're going to do and this is going to heal their brain they like kind of sit up and just they're going to go for it and so when I, I do that with someone what I say is I want you to tell me this like if I was going to make a movie of this I would have all the details tell me what time of year it was what were you wearing do you remember any smells what happened what did that feel like? And talk them through that whole memory, and that helps move it to narrative memory. And narrative memory is a wonderful place because you know what happened to you? You don't feel nauseous ever. You don't feel shaky. And I know this personally because I had a crazy man that stalked me for about a year and a half after my divorce. And um, I'm talking knives to the throat. I'm talking he would come in my house wake me up at night in my bedroom and I would say you can't keep doing this and he'd say I'd say we have to talk and he'd say you want to talk talk and sharpen a knife okay shot at me and my girls it was numerous traumatic experience nearly strangled I could tell you a bunch of different things but so if I walked in a grocery store and saw someone that looked anything like him from the back, I would feel shaky. I couldn't shut. I, I had to get out of there, okay? If I heard a truck, because he had a real big, loud-sounding truck, if I heard a truck that sounded like his, I could just feel shaky. And I wasn't a real fearful person. I had never been really fearful. And back then, we didn't have good restraining laws, and so... He said he had already been in prison for manslaughter. And he said, yeah, it wasn't like a, yeah. I mean, he had hand grenades and assault rifles, okay? Yes. Only in America. Hand grenades, assault rifles. Yeah. And he would say, you know, I'll burn your parents' house down. I'll kill your brother. I'll, you know, the whole nine yards. I mean, I finally started, and not too long after that, God met me, saved me, and and I really believe part of it, he knew I was probably going to end up doing prison ministry, and I, I didn't even know about ministry, because I'd finally decided, I, I got a double-barrel shotgun, and I started sleeping with it besides my bed, and I would get up. I didn't see really good without my glasses, so I would get, i practice grabbing the gun and aiming it right at the middle, and I had decided I was going to kill him. Because I had no life. I couldn't have a life. And I couldn't get, and it, it just, it just, I just think it would stop and it would, it would start again. Anything would trigger him. And so I'm telling you all that, that I know this firsthand because, again, I wasn't sexually abused as a child, 
but that was extremely traumatic stuff. But once I understood it and I processed those memories, I, I, I don't have a problem. I had a real test one day. after It wasn't too long after I had some ministry for it. And um, my husband had had, we're, we were pastoring, and he had some guys. A lot of times in Daytona, people get there. They go party. They spend all their money. They can't get back home. They look for work so they can get a bus ticket or some, something. So he said he had these guys come in at the church, and they, he, he knew how to do flooring and stuff, and they were doing some stuff. So fine, whatever. Never saw them or anything. And then we had this big house that we lived in and used it for some ministry purposes and things. And I come home one day, and I'm getting to, ready to walk in our back gate, and I see a man that looks almost so much like this man, a little smaller built, but so. And I knew I was healed when, because this would have been normal, okay, before my healing, I would have got my husband, and he would have heard it. What on earth are you bringing some strange guy to our house? How dare you? You don't know who you I would have been livid because I would have been triggered. And I saw him. I took a deep breath. I said, this is not that. And I was able to go in and say, you guys must be thirsty. It's hot out here. I see you're working. Let me go in and fix you some drinks. And I was able, I wasn't mad at my husband because I wasn't triggered. And I was able to handle it. And I knew it was like, I felt like God just allowed that to test for me to see. And uh, not too long ago, we had a big truck event in Daytona Beach because we do stock cars and motors, bike week and motorcycles and trucks. And we have Jeep week and any kind of week we can have, we have it in, in Daytona Beach, okay? And it was just full of all of these trucks. And you know what? I didn't even realize it. Their sound didn't bother me. Nothing bothered me. And before, I, I, I just would have been very triggered. Because why? It was in traumatic memory, and it had to be processed. But once it's processed, it's, it's totally different. Okay? And so I want to encourage you, if you have had a traumatic event, even you may have had trauma just from the earthquakes you've had. And you may have talked about it some, but if you've not really processed it out in a narrative, put it from the beginning to the end, and really talked it through, you could still be triggered sometimes, okay? So it, it's, 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 it's the way God created us. I always say, let's work with God's design, not against God's design. And most of the time, there's shame related to sexual trauma, and so we never process it, okay? We never fully process it until my daughter fully processed the rape and put it all into what a lot of things would trigger her. She'd get triggered by a lot of things. And so once she was able to process it, then she was able to heal. Now, again, just processing traumatic memory, it moves things. It helps heal in the brain. But we're still a spirit, a soul, and body. And we need Jesus to minister in those areas also. And so that is one thing about our sexuality 
that sometimes is so difficult to pinpoint because our sexuality isn't just physical, okay? It's also emotional. It's also mental. It's also spiritual. Our sexuality is one of the things in life that entwines through everything. And so that's why we want to make sure that we're able to really fully bring healing. So narrative memory creates distance and healthy detachment. And so, um, again, I, I, I minister to a lot of people who are what they, you call, uh, I don't know what your term is here right now, but we call it dissociative identity disorder, which is, used to be called multiple personality and things like that. And anybody who has, ha has that has had trauma under the age of usually five, four-year-olds. Sometimes they say eight, but most of the time it's under that before their personality is pretty well developed. And so I'm talking about they suffered such abuse, and many times it's carried on further up in their life, that they had to disassociate from it and to create a whole other part of them to keep those memories or keep that pain or keep their shame. So that it separates them. But yet, I've not met one that when the memories came back or the parts came up with the memories and they began to process them and talk them out and work through them, not get healed. Amen? So God, God knows how he created our brain. Okay, but we've got to understand it so we can use it and process things properly. Um, so let me. I'm looking at your your workbook and my notes. Um, Thank you, Jesus. I'm trying to decide because I've got a whole topic I can go into, but I don't want to. How, how are we doing? Y'all hanging with me? Okay. Um, let, let's, let's go here, and in your workbook now, we'll come back into ministering to sexual abuse victims. Let me. Yeah, you, we can do that. Go to page 19. And um, Heather, can you dig in the bag and get my Play-Doh? Yeah, let's stand up, stretch, go to the bathroom, whatever. I promise you I won't keep you too much longer. Boy, Bet you haven't heard this much sex talk in church in a long time, right? <laughs> Ever? Ever? <laughs> How's it doing? Good. What? Am I doing good? Good, good, yeah. That's good. 
Okay, we ready to kind of find our way back in? So on on page 19 it talks about sexual imprinting. And I, I, I want to talk about that next. In, you know, Matthew 19, 4 through 6, and I'll, I'll just want to read that. I always tell people, this, none of this was my idea. This was all the Lord's. I didn't come up with this stuff. He was talking about it a long time ago. Okay, um, so 19, 4 through 6, it says, And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man be separate. And so God created us for covenant sexuality, that a man and a woman become one, okay, for covenant for life. So I always say, I'll tell you, is it, can I have liberty? This is the way I normally say it. Would God say, I want you and you to stay together all the days of your life, be faithful to each other, but I'm going to make that hard as hell. <laughs> would a good God do that? Would he say, I'm I'm just going to make this the most difficult thing you'll ever do, do. No, because when he wired us and he created us, he created us for covenant sexuality. And in that, we have a mechanism called sexual imprinting. Okay? And sexual imprinting is when our sexuality is first awakened or imprinted 
And sometimes it's not just the first time we have had sex. Other things can happen. And when that happens, there is an imprinting on our sexuality that makes us want to go back to whatever we were imprinted with. Okay? And it's very powerful. Okay? It's so powerful if a man and a woman are not imprinted anywhere and they come together sexually, guess what? It's just this amazing glue because that's what they have a desire for. Okay? Now, I want to give you a story. This is a story that um, Heather and Marie have heard it a few times. But in, in America, I use it because it's, so, it's such a dramatic illustration. We had a serial killer years ago. His name was Jeffrey Dahmer. Anybody heard from him? Few people heard about him. Well, what Jeffrey Dahmer would do is he would go out to bars and clubs and things, and he would seduce young men, bring them to his apartment, kill them, have sex with the dead body, and then kind of cut them up in pieces and freeze them and do different things, okay? And you would say, why would someone want to do that? And I'm going to tell you, because of sexual imprinting, okay? Because what happened to Jeffrey when he was around 13, 14, came from a little bit of a dysfunctional family, not talking. No one's teaching him about sex. No one's talking to him. Just so you know, if you're not talking to your kids about sex, the world is, okay? And so he, he didn't know. And he was a loner at school, no friends, no one to really talk to, different things. He's coming home from school one day, rural road, and there had been a hit-and-run accident, probably maybe a hitchhiker's tent. Young man was killed. He drug the dead body home, got it in like a barn or a shed or something, and experimented with it sexually. So did he want a live woman? Did he even want a dead woman? Did he want a living man? He wanted a dead man because that's what he was sexually imprinted with. Okay? That's how powerful God created that thing. Okay? So I'm going to give you a few examples of it. Um, Heather, do you want to put that away? So, so, and this can, this, I'll give just a few examples because it, it can be very, it's not always what you might think it is. It's what you really need to have the Holy Spirit help show them and you what it, what it really is. So I had one guy and he'd been referred to me and, and he had been to a number of, he'd been in jail, he'd been to Christian counselors, secular counselors, you name it. And he was on my couch. And his deal, we've got, I don't know, you guys got like some kind of companies that are like lumber companies and they have all kinds of building supplies. What do you call them here? Hardware, like, yes. So we have a company in America called Home Depot. So his last thing, and he was going back to jail for, was his deal was he would go into stores or public places, expose himself to a woman, and start masturbating. 
This guy was a Christian at this point. He had given his life to the Lord, but it was a compulsion, okay? And so that's not, that's not going to be a good day. You don't, if you go to Home Depot, let me just, let me just tell you, this is, this is not a suggestion, okay? If you go to Home Depot and in aisle five decide to expose yourself and start masturbating, it's probably not going to go well for you, okay? And it did not go well for him. And this man wasn't, he wasn't really a stupid man, okay? So when we started working with him, and again, my husband works with me with this stuff too, but when we were, we were talking about it and different things, and, and just I started explaining imprinting and things to him, I asked him, I said, what did this, these women, when you feel that compulsion, are they similar in any way? You know, hair color size, looks, anything. And he stopped and he said, you know, I never thought about it before, but yeah. Okay, that's probably a hint right there. And so I said, now, anybody in your life have that kind of look, maybe build or anything? And he remembered when he was 10 years old, he had, again, an older babysitter who had played with him sexually and different things. And he said she kind of had that. And so we prayed through some of that, worked through some of that, talked that out. But I didn't feel that inside where it's like, bingo, this is it. So that night I said, look, just let's just keep praying. Let's just see if there's anything else. This is good. You're starting to see a pattern. Or this is compulsive, so we got to find out where the root is. Just so you know, wherever there's fruit, there's root. Wherever there's fruit, there's root, okay? And so the next day he came in and he was like, I got it. God showed me. I got it. And so this was his story. He was like five years old. His dad had left very early in the game and him and his mom were just, very, she was a young mom and they were just very, very close, did everything together, things. Well, she got a boyfriend and this boyfriend um, had come over, and they had put him out to play, go out to play, right? And so he went out to play, but he wanting to know what's going on. So what happens is this little five-year-old is looking in the bedroom window, and his mom doesn't have any clothes on, and she is dancing provocatively for this boyfriend. So that little boy wanted... There was a certain amount of, five-year-olds can have a certain amount of sexual stimulation. It was st stimulation, but he wanted to show his mom that he was a man. He could take care of her. And so that compulsion as a little boy would find someone who looked and would want to expose his manhood so she didn't need that other man. Okay, and when we got to that, guess what? He got free. Because it's, yes, amen, amen. Because there's a different thing of, I don't know why I'm having this compulsion. And another thing, it's all about my mom. I'm going in Home Depot about my mom. You know what I'm saying? You, you look at it a little differently, okay? So that, what I'm saying is sometimes what we think on the surface it would be, it's something underlying. I had another, I, I love, I love ladies because they always, 
they like want to drag these men and drop them off at your office and say, you know, he's lustful. Deliver him of the devil. And then I will pick him up when I'm done shopping. You know, <laughs> they do. Yeah. Or people, this is the one I love too. People like with their marriages. I, lo I love this with marriage counseling. They come like, like their marriage, like these two. Here, here, Dr. Kathy, could you like work? Our marriage is having problems. We're having problems in our marriage. They almost want to do it like they're dry cleaning. We'll drop that off with you. We're going to go to a movie. We'll come back and pick it up again. Could you, could you help fix our marriage? You know? And I always tell couples, you know, your marriage is you and you. And if your marriage is having problems, that means you and you are having problems. Okay? It is not some separate entity. Okay? Just like that woman said, you know, oh, fix him. <laughs> you know? And so anyhow, as we began to talk through, work through what the real issue was, when it really came down to it, it really was a breast fetish, okay? And it wasn't just any old kind of breasts. It was very largely endowed, large-breasted women. That was his downfall, okay? And so as we worked through it, we began to pray through to get to the sexual imprinting. And you know what? The Holy, just so you know, the Holy Spirit loves this stuff. Any kind of healing, but he loves this stuff. We just have to open up and let him get involved. And so we're talking, and all of a sudden, again, bingo, he gets the memory. Amazing, right? Because the Holy Spirit's involved. Something he hadn't thought about in years, when he was 10 years old. There's this scripture in the Bible. It's called Leviticus 17. And it's all about don't uncover the nakedness of what? Your mother and your brother and your sister and your father's brother and your uncle and, you know, Every kind of scenario, don't uncover the nakedness. Why? Because God knows about sexual imprinting. And so he doesn't want you imprinted by someone's body. That is not going to be your covenant spouse. Okay? God doesn't say to not do stuff just because he doesn't just, you know, well, don't, don't do that. No, there's a reason. And we don't tell our kids in church, we're like, don't do it. Don't talk about it. It's bad. It's wrong. God says it's wrong. And then one day, then they're supposed to say, okay, now it's right. What? You know, they don't know. Or they say, it's wrong. You could get pregnant. Our kids are so smart. No, they understand birth control, everything else. They're passing them out at school. Or is it, well, you could get a disease. Well, they know that school's already taught them to use protection. Okay? They're not... The only way the fear of the Lord comes into the deal is when they realize how their sexuality was created and they really don't want to tamper with it because sexual imprinting can cause major lifetimes of problems until God heals it. Now, do I have faith God can heal it? Do I want to bring a message of hope to our young people, even if they have tampered it, that they can go to the Lord and he can bring healing to it? Yes, I've seen it happen. Okay, so this guy, what happened was his mom, when he was 10 years old, had another baby, lived in Florida. No air conditioning. It's hot in the summertime in Florida with no air conditioning. And mom was a large-breasted woman. Mom, when she was nursing and her breasts were engorged, 
large, very large-breasted woman. But mom would nurse the baby, walk around the house with no top on, no little blanket covering, no covering at all. She would just sit there watching TV. She thinks this, oh, he's just 10. What does he know? We're created as sexual beings, okay? And so he was imprinted there. That was his imprinting that was driving that, okay? And again, once he got the ministry, healed, forgave mom, you know, did the whole thing, freedom, because it no longer has that, and ask God to come and cleanse that imprinting, okay? Are, are you getting the picture? Okay, I was brought into a, a church, and because it was, the youth pastor was the new son-in-law, and they caught him on the computers of the church looking at pornography, and, and, and he was a youth pastor. So, ended up, they brought me in, and, because um, they really want to save this mess here right now. And so, what, the other thing is, in imprinting, when you're working with someone, you want to know what came first. So when we're talking it and working through it, because either you have a masturbation product problem and you're feeding it with pornography, or you have a pornography problem and masturbation is an outcome because it, it's the imprinting, what, what came first. So as we went through the imprinting with him, when he was five, he had to go live with his older sister, very dominant, very kind of controlling and things like that. And he learned to get away from her. He would go out, like, in the barnyard and stuff, and he learned how to masturbate. And that's what he would do. He was only, like, five, six years old when it started. And when we worked through it, guess what would happen? He had a wife, lovely lady, real strong personality. It, every time she would get really strong with him, he would end up, again, that would cause that desire to masturbate. And then he was using pornography to do it. And so we went back there, prayed for that imprinting for him to be able to get free. Okay? It's power. I mean, it's a real thing. It's very real. It's not, I'm not making this stuff up. It, it's real, okay, of how God designed us. It's powerful. Because, again, if he wants a man and a woman to stay faithful all the days of our lives, he puts something in it to make it possible. Okay? I had an, another another time, I had a, this beautiful blonde girl. Virg, she'd been a virgin, got married, gorgeous girl, crying on my couch. This is about a month after her honeymoon. Why? Because they had sex on their honeymoon night, and when she, afterwards, she woke up, she's a virgin, a, she wakes up in the middle of the night to find her husband masturbating. And she is devastated in shock. I'm not enough. What happened? Blah, blah, blah. Helped her. I, again, had to help her understand sexual imprinting. Worked with him. He'd started masturbating as a little kid. That was his sexual imprinting. So even though he had a beautiful woman here, what did he want to go back to was where he was sexually imprinted. And if we help our young people understand that, like I said, it brings the fear of the Lord. I've had my little book for on straight talk. Can you hand me that real quick? I wrote a little book called Straight Talk, 
uh, discussion for teens about God's design for purity and sexuality. And I've had, I've had adults read this book and say, I've never heard that before. I never knew that before. And, and yet, we're, we're not telling our kids about how God desi designed us. Because a lot of us never knew. Okay? So we, we, we have to be educated on it. So um, with sexual imprinting, again, um, different things can be imprinted into our sexuality. Okay? Um, like for me, my first sexual experience all were with all with alcohol. Okay? All alcohol. I realized I had been, I got pregnant at 17, got married, divorced 10 years later. After a little bit, I got born again. But what happened was I began to realize I marry my husband and we're going to do stuff God's way and I'm not drinking at all anymore. And now I have to do sex sober. And I realized that even in my marriage, I, that had rarely happened in my in my life, okay? Because alcohol was imprinted into my sexuality. And again, I remember feeling like, even when the light was off, I felt like an interrogation light over me because there was no fuzzy. Alcohol gives you a fuzzy, right? And my fuzzy was gone. And you know, that shame, fear, control, is like, I wanna hide myself. Could we shut off the lights, but could we get it darker? You know what I'm saying? Because the fuzzy's gone. I don't know how to get the, you know. And so I had to relearn. I had to get, like I said, I needed cleansing, but I had to relearn how to do that. So there's a lot of times different things get imprinted into our sexuality. Sometimes extra adrenaline because we're afraid we're going to get caught or we're doing it someplace where we shouldn't, like, you know, in our parents' living room while they're up in bed sleeping or whatever. And then we can't... There's couples that they don't, even, they don't really know how to have a sexual relationship that doesn't have thrill with it. And so if it's just their normal marriage bed, it's like, it's not enough. Because why? They were imprinted with that adrenaline thrill. Or with, I mean, you have kids that are being, um, again, I think you probably call it the same things, but they're imprinted on, on ecstasy. You know, ever, you guys hear of ecstasy? Drug enhances everything. So they're imprinted with that, and then they're trying to find that. In their, in, and then nothing is satisfying, okay, because of what they're, what they're imprinted with. Now this, I talked about my daughter being raped. Afterwards, she went into a spiral where she literally recreated the rape because she started drinking then, and she would drink to a place where she'd let some guy overpower her have sex with her, and she didn't even want it, but that imprinting caused it to go over and over again till she was healed. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I could tell you a lot of stories, but this is just an example, some examples of how powerful it is. Okay? So what we have to do is we've got to give people a faith. Okay? 
Matthew 9:29 says, and he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Okay, so when we're ministering to people in this area, part of what we have to do is we have to be able to create faith. Here's some good faith scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says what? Behold, all things have become new. Matthew 19.26 says, With God, all things are possible, right? Isaiah 61.3 says, Beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning. And see, many times people are mourning the loss of their innocence, their purity, their loss of passion. Many times, again, they feel like their sexuality is in ashes. But God doesn't say it stays there. He gives us beauty for it. He says, do not remember the former things, nor con consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Amen? Isaiah 43, 17. So we have got to give people faith, okay? We've got to give them testimonies at times. Um, so part of our job is to build the, their faith with the word and with testimonies of what God, God has done in other people to bring that healing and that cleansing. Um, one thing I want to, I skipped over that, and I just want to say this because I think it's very important. just want to talk on, see on page 19, I talk about the difference. And this is just like a foundational thing. And guys, if you get this, you'll be happier, okay? You really will if you get this. Women need to get this too, okay? Because God created us this way, okay? And you can fight it all day long if you want. It never works. I'll just tell you that. It just doesn't work. Women, their bodies are wired in a way that men need to learn to go through their heart to get to their body. When a man goes through a woman's heart to get to her body, she wants to give herself, okay? I say there's a lot of men who've never, ever experienced, might have had a lot of sex, but they never experienced a woman truly giving herself because they never took the time to go through her heart. But if you take the time to go through a woman's heart, she is designed and created to want to give herself to you, okay? Now women... This is the way God designed men. You, women are always, I just want him to really talk to me. I just really want him to open up his heart. I really want to know what he's really feeling. Okay? And this is the way men are designed. You have to go through a man's body to get to his heart. There was a, my grandmother used to say it this way. You have to go through a man's stomach. The way to a man's stum, uh, heart is through his stomach. And now I say his stomach and other body parts, okay? Okay, grandma didn't tell me that part, okay? But the way God, and you can be upset about a woman all day long, or you can just accept it. If you want your husband's heart, go through his body. That's the way God created him. You know, I always say, working with God's design is not manipulation, so there are sometimes, there's some conversations I need to have with my husband. And you know what? I'm going to make sure he's got a great meal, really good sex. Then we're going to have a conversation. Okay? Because I want his heart on board. Right? What's that? Yeah. 
Then we're going to have that conversation. Why? Because now his heart's open. He, he'll, be, he'll be up for anything then. Okay? But if you operate in denial and want them to open up their heart, it doesn't work that way. Okay? And the same thing with men who just want, you know, I just, she should just have sex with me. She doesn't even like you right now. She thinks you're a jerk. You haven't lifted a finger on the house. You didn't do anything. A lot of men need to get it. Taking out the garbage is foreplay. It is. It is. Now, let me tell you one other thing. Let me tell you a little thing about, about women and how they're created. Men, you've got to get this, okay? Any, got some young men not, not married over here? Yeah, I thought there was a few over there. Okay, get some of this. Learn some of this, okay? Because the other thing about a woman is related to the home, okay? The home is an extension of the woman. It is the nest to the woman, okay? And so men who neglect the nest, for a woman, I am neglected, okay? But there is a turn-on for a woman because we were supposed to be attracted to somebody who helped take care of the cave or the nest or whatever you want to call it. And so we are attracted to them. And when they don't, they're not as attractive. I tell, especially wealthy men, because they can just pay somebody to do everything. That's why the doctor's wife is sleeping with the pool guy. Because he's coming over and taking care of the nest. And so he looks hot to her. Okay? Her husband might even, he's got, his husband's got more money, better looking, but the pool guy's taking care of the nest. And it is wired into a woman to be attracted to that which takes care of the nest. Okay? And I tell men, you know, don't, I, a smart man over a gallon of paint will just, you know, well, I really want to paint that room. We're living in an apartment. We might be moving, but I really want to paint that room. Go to the paint store. Pick out the paint. Let her, because if she's happy and she knows you're willing to invest in the nest, care about the next, do a repair. I tell wealthy businessmen, every once in a while, even if you're not good at it, <clears throat> try fix something around that. Do something a little bit because it is attractive to a woman. Okay? Now, all the women are saying what? So true. Amen. It's, it's not really just that we want to get you to do something. We want to be attracted to you. And when you do something, it's attractive. My husband knows this now. Okay? So there are times, you know, I know it's like, hey, guess what I fixed today? <laughs> right? It is. It's, it's how we were created. So it's, it's not manipulation. It's learning how to work with that. So if men learn how to go through a woman's heart, she's going to open up her body to them. If women learn how to go and see if both parties are doing their job, it just holds together. If one falls out, the other always falls out. Okay? And we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff it does in the brain too. So 
You know what? We're going we're gonna to stop here for tonight, and then we're going to talk some about laying on of hand and praying, and we may do a little activation. How many of you guys are coming back tomorrow? You're going to come back because you just don't know what I might say next, right? <laughs> right? So you're going to come. If this is the introduction, what is going to happen tomorrow, right? So anyhow, it's, it's really been a pleasure and honor to speak to you tonight, and I, I thank you for being good sports because... Like I said, we got to break the ice. We got to talk about it. And and the more open and honest I can be with you, then you can relax and be open and honest. And um, it will be a wonderful thing. So we've got a bunch of stuff to cover tomorrow. Coming back at what, two o'clock? Okay, I'm going to turn it over to you, Pastor. The Sexual Wholeness Seminar was an incredible weekend that brought up a lot of topics. If you feel the seminar affected you personally, then please talk to your life group leader or a pastor in the church. Otherwise, there's a list of approved counsellors appearing on the screen that you can contact.